um, 33, Christ says, in verse 32, he's telling them in the room at Passover, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, is now come, that you will be scattered. I want you to know in what context he said, be of good cheer. And that you will be scattered each to his own, and you will leave me alone. He says, I will be alone. You will desert me. He's wanting you to feel upon the pretext that he is speaking these words to be of good cheer. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Amen. Isn't it wonderful? You are never alone. The more we learn that, the better we get um, because the Father is with me. He says in verse 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Everyone say peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Look at your neighbor and say it again. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, he didn't just say he's overcome Mondays, right? He didn't just say he's overcome a bad rainy day. He said, I have overcome the world. Oh, what a Savior to be proud of. What an awesome Christ. Um, when he said these things, he was saying, be of good cheer and take comfort. Let's pray. Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit that's already resident. We love you, Holy Spirit. You're the teacher, divine counselor. How I adore you and love you. And we welcome you, sir, to speak to us through the word of God. We welcome your power, your strength. I pray you would speak into the ears of Father's children. In a way, I don't even say something, but you just speak it into their heart. Speak to all of us. Encourage us. Let our time be profitable. Give glory to God and receive the word with gladness. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. I'm going to be talking out of 2 Kings 18 in just a moment. But before I do, I love that be of good cheer, take comfort. And I love that he said it kind of at halftime right before things were kind of rough. That doesn't mean any of you are headed for anything rough. It just Jesus is telling you, be of good cheer in the midst of your situation. Your situation is not what brings you good cheer. But what brings you good cheer is because of who is going to step into your situation. Isn't that awesome? It, you know, I, I love the song Happy. I mean, when it first came out, I mean, it's kind of getting like let it go almost. Um, almost, not quite. But I still love it. And when it first came on, I mean, if I was walking on the greenway, I couldn't help it. I'm a dancer. I only grew up dancing in the house of the Lord when I was four. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was in a free church. And I just danced. And I've danced that whole time. Um, I never went clubbing, but I did a lot of other things. I talk bad about people. Let's don't list our sins and all that. Um, but I never, I never went to a club. Um, but I just always grew up dancing in the house of the Lord. And when freedom hit the house of the Lord, and I got to ministering to a lot of my brothers and sisters of different colors, they taught me how to get my groove on sometimes and I just love it and the song is great but if I build my cheer just upon that song when the song's end it's over if my cheer is just based on my Louis Louis Vuitton bag when my Louis Vuitton bag falls apart my cheer is over right if I base my cheer just on good circumstances then when the good circumstances end my cheer is over but if I base my good cheer on Christ, it's, it's amazing because that word in um, the Greek is um, therasia, um, cheer. Everyone say therasia. Kind of like, there I see it, is what the Southerners would say. In fact, I had many redneck jokes I meant to bring you today. I really begged God that I could tell redneck jokes. And, you know, he made me forget them at home. But just for an ounce, you might be a redneck if a cruise to you is driving your wife around Dairy Queen seven times. You might be a redneck if you're still holding on to your Confederate money because you believe the South will rise again. Um, 
You might be a redneck if you ever climbed up on an overpass and had to mark out your sister's name to defend her honor. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, and there's many more. You know, I, I do a teaching on you might be a Pharisee. Most of you have seen it. It's almost time to revisit that sometimes, maybe next year. But I always open with redneck jokes. And there's like a thousand of them. I have them at home. I sat in my study last night and let just, oh, please, Lord, let me work this in somehow to the message. And then I forgot them. Um, but, but happiness is wonderful. Cheer, though, comes from Christ. Cheer comes is the same word that Paul said to the man on the ship when they're in the middle of the storm and they're about to crash. And um, Harmony, he says to him, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Really? Really, the storm is so big and the ship is about to crash. Be of good cheer. Are you kidding me? But you see, cheer comes from Christ. Everyone say cheer, cheer. comes from Christ. Um, it's what, you know, Jesus told his disciples when they were in the storm and the boat was going against waves and it was horrible. He said, be of good cheer. Really, Jesus? But see, he's wanting you to be of good cheer because of who is stepping in to your situation, not your situation. And he says it because I have already overcome what seeks to overcome you. Isn't that powerful? Say, he has already overcome what seeks to overcome me. He has. I mean, and that is the bottom line right there. Be of good cheer, Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. I'm going to take you to an Old Testament passage where they're going to put some of these things into practice. Um, it's in 2 Kings, for your reference, chapter 18 and verse 17. Um, I love this story, and I'll tell you what this story is about because you're going to watch some people overcome and be of good cheer because they believe God, this was before Christ, had overcome the world. And at this time, Hezekiah was king of Judah in Jerusalem. Everyone say Jerusalem. The other nations had already fallen that were called Israel. Judah was the only one standing. And at this time, Hezekiah is entreated or he is, receives an advance from the Assyrians. I don't want you to miss this. The Assyrians were the ISIS of that day. The Assyrians were the ISIS of that day. This is not the first time that Jehovah has encountered a group like ISIS. Come on, somebody. This is not the first time that the world has encountered terrorists. Yes, it is a sign of the ends of the time, but don't go dig your hole and climb in there with your cans of green beans and say, I'm not coming out till blast from the past is over. Come on, somebody. God has already encountered ISIS before. They were named the Assyrians. Their king was Sennacherib, and their commander was Rabshakeh. And Rabshakeh came with thousands of armies up against the walls of Jerusalem. It was like a scene from Lord of the Rings. Lauren, where are you? I thought of you, baby. I was thinking that Lauren loves Lord of the Rings like me. It was like a scene from Lord of the Rings. And there was thousands of them surrounding the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem had walls, but they were, they were entreated all around them. Hundreds of weaponry. And inside was Judah and Hezekiah. And something amazing happened. Sennacherib had sent Rabshakeh, and Rabshakeh began to hurl insults at the people. Everyone say, at the people. Now, I want you to follow the lies that he tells in the name of God. The Assyrians were not of God. The Assyrians served earthly gods they made with their own hands. But how many know we serve the God who made the stars by his own hand? We serve the only eternal God who dwells in inappressible, inapproachable light, who lives and breathes, and who is the breath in our lungs. Come on, somebody. Give him a praise this morning. And he begins to 
hurl. Now you see yourself on the other side of that wall. And you see Rabshakeh as your enemy. Have a good day at work, girls. Love you. And you see him standing in the middle of that city. And you see the insults coming against him. And this is where I'm going to pick up in 2 Kings, New King James Version, um, 18. And I'm going to go down to verse, let me see where I am. Um, okay, verse 18. And when they had called to the king, Elakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Joah came out to them. Then Rabshakeh said, say the liar said. Someone say the liar said. Say now to King Hezekiah. Thus says the great king of Assyria, Sennacherib. What confidence is this in which you trust, Hezekiah? You speak of having plans and powerful war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you would not bow down to me? The enemy comes and says, you're standing behind that wall, King Hezekiah, and we've got thousands around you, and you're saying you're going to fight back, and you're saying that you trust in the God that you serve. These are just mere words. Look at your neighbor and say, faith is never just mere words. He goes on to say, and this will be a short message, but he goes on to say, he doesn't go on to say it's going to be a short message, but I'm telling you this is going to be a short message. It wasn't a short message. He hounded them for days. He goes on to say to them, he says this. He says, the Lord himself told me to attack you. Now, he doesn't use in this instance the name of the Lord Yahweh. He's using the name of the Assyrian false god, one they made by their own hands. He even goes so far to say, God has sent me. Let me tell you something. Any voice that ever comes to you to take the hope out of your heart is not the voice of God. God never sends people to destroy you, and you know, unless you're off, you know, killing and slaughtering people. God never tells people, go destroy, go attack, go do this. People do evil things. This is a fallen world. ISIS today, this message is not about ISIS, but I want you to understand again, this is not the first time. God has encountered a terrorist. You are not the first addict God has encountered. You are not the first fearful person that God has encountered. You are not the first anxiety-filled person that God has ever encountered. You are not the first person that's struggling in poverty that God has ever encountered. You are not the first person sick that God has ever encountered. But before time began, he existed. He created time, and someday he will dismiss it when he has said it has served its purposes. You serve a God who has always been and always will be God, and any lying voice that comes to tell you different is a rab shake a lying snake. Come on, somebody. Sometimes you got to break up with a snake. Amen? That lying voice that comes to you, however it comes in your mind, in your spirit, and I like what Beth Moore said recently, girls. We talked about this. She said, sometimes I don't even need the devil to come against me. She goes, I've given him so much material. I've messed up my life in so many ways. Beth had a very, very incredibly wild past. And she said, I've given him so much material that, he, that I'm easily tormentable. I can identify with that. Anybody else? I can be easily tormentable with fear and worry and concern but through Christ, we climb up and we are of good cheer. Look at your neighbor and say, be of good cheer. So here is Hezekiah. And I think the incredible thing, Jackie, about Hezekiah is we can't bypass his origin. 
We cannot bypass what he survived to get this point. You and I are in error if we ever bypass what we went through to get to where we are. We are wrong. Because what we went through and what we survived is the very strength and the fiber of our faith. Can I get an amen? What we have survived and gone through. And I don't want you to miss that Hezekiah was the son of King Ahaz. King Ahaz was an evil king. The Bible said he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He sacrificed his own children in the fire, which means he burnt his children in the fire of molten. He burnt them unto a false god. Now I want you to understand, somehow Hezekiah was bypassed in the moment that he was supposed to be thrown into the fire. Can I get a witness this morning as I just say it, how he's given it to me? This morning, each one of us are here by the grace of God. And somehow we bypass the fire that was intended to take us out, remove us, dislocate us, make us insane, make us crazy. Somebody that's full of praise, give God a hand clap of praise this morning. And I love what one novelist wrote in her management of scripture and her management of history of the Jewish historians that maybe it was when Hezekiah was grabbed up. Hezekiah's grandfather, oh, help me, Lord. Hezekiah's grandfather was a priest, according to the history of the Bible. And somehow he must have gotten the word into little child Hezekiah. And somehow on the day, a novelist portrays maybe how it could have happened that he got picked up by the guards when his dad throw him to that foreign god. But somehow, maybe he was there that Isaiah was standing on the mountain because Isaiah was the voice in that time, the voice of reason, the voice of truth, the voice of faith to the people of God. And possibly in that moment, Isaiah was standing on that mountain. And as they were dragging little Hezekiah off to the fire... In his mind, I believe maybe he was hearing the words of his grandfather who had been teaching him the great words of faith. And maybe when he passed Isaiah, maybe with that stilly glaze that those Old Testament prophets surely had, maybe Keith read Isaiah then looked at little Hezekiah and said, Do not fear, for he has called you by name. When you walk through the waters, you will not be drowned. And when you go through the fire, you will not be burned. For the Holy One of Israel has called you by name. And he has summoned you. And maybe that bold, oh, I could just scream this morning, but I'm not going to. Maybe in that moment, the word of the Lord spoken in that moment was enough. Because the word says that the word is so powerful. It's like a sword dividing the joint from the marrow. That the word is so powerful that it can cause dead things to live. That the word is so powerful, it can lift sorrow and regret and depression off of our mind. That the word is so powerful it can raise us up to be sons and daughters of the most high God does anybody love the word put your hands together and give him a praise this morning and maybe it was in that moment Hezekiah heard that and somehow God intervened and Hezekiah lived so standing in that city of Jerusalem Austin Hezekiah remembers this isn't my first rodeo God this isn't my first passage through anything. No, it's not. I remember when you saved me through the fire. And I remember that you are the same God today, so I am of good cheer. And I anticipate you will overcome this situation. It's funny because Rabshakeh, um, Rabshakeh, 
begins to speak. And when he's speaking, Elohim, who is the right hand of Hezekiah, the king, is in more of an intercourt of the city. And Elohim is standing out there. And Rabshakeh is just throwing at these insults. And the people, if you've ever seen an old movie of this time period, it is kind of true. They're hanging over the city gate. And they're trying to hear what the enemy is hurling. And they're saying things. And Rabshakeh is saying, your God, tell King Hezekiah, his God will not save him. Tell him that we will overcome this city and you will drink your own urine, excuse me, and you will eat your own dung when we are done from you. You will be cannibals. You will be dead. Don't let Hezekiah fool you into trusting the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver us. In fact, Rabshakeh said, don't let Hezekiah fool you that he is going to rescue you. Hezekiah never said that he was the one to bring him through. Hezekiah said, the maker of the heavens and the earth, he who does does not sleep or slumber. He who created the moon and the stars and the sun and the lightning and the canyons, he is the one that will rescue us. So when the enemy says, Obama's not going to save you, agree with him. When the enemy says that your best buddy is not going to save you, you agree with him. When the enemy says that that thing is not going to save you, you agree with him and say, yes, but I lift my eyes into the hills from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He is at my right hand to sustain me. Someone say amen. So powerful, but Elohim says something powerful. He says, Rabshakeh, and why we try to negotiate with the enemy, I don't know. But he says, speak to us in Aramaic. Don't speak to us in Hebrew. We, he was speaking of he and the guards with him, we understand Aramaic. Just speak to us in Aramaic. Don't speak in Hebrew. Because he said, the little ones, everyone say, the little ones are on the wall. What he was saying is, our younger ones that are not quite strong as we are. Listen to this, parents. Listen to this, leaders. Listen to this, every man and woman in this house. Listen to this. This is why grumbling, complaining, and spreading things and speaking negative anyone to younger hearts and minds is never going to get you in a good place with God. It's never going to get Rhonda in a good place with God. But he says, the younger ones, what he was saying, they're hanging on the wall and they can't handle these insults. We can we're here and we're strong. We're in the king's force. We can handle your insults and your accusations and your um, threats that you're going to do to us. Um, but don't speak in Arab. Shekah continued to speak in Aramaic. But I'm telling you something. As men and women and daughters and sons of the Most High God, I want to thank God today. I've said it before, but there's a lot of new people. My parents never spoke about my pastor in my ears. My parents never spoke about their boss. They were in church work. Never, ever. I never heard them speak speak a negative word about their boss, about anybody around us. I never heard them dissect and, and, and talk evil about people. They didn't even argue in front of me. Oh, they argued, but behind closed doors. But you see, they kept me. And, and later on in life, a, a family that became close to us said, well, we think your parents protected you children too much. We think they should have told you how horrible people were. Well, amazingly, the family that said that none of their children are serving the Lord today, and it wasn't anyone we pastored. It was another ministry family about our same age of my siblings and I. And I said, you know what? I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you at all. We are to guard those who are younger in the faith, who are less mature, who are new in Christ. We are to guard their ears. We are to guard them from things they don't need to see or hear. We're to guard even our lack of faith. When we grow up in Christ and stop being babies, everyone say, stop being babies. 
then all of a sudden Rhonda Davis begins to speak words of life and health and hope. There is nothing going on in this church that makes me say this. I didn't even pin this till this morning. But as it preaches, I want to encourage you in the workplace, in your home, in your family, guard the ears and the hearts of new beloved Christians. That's not, you know, people say leadership sometimes want to guard people. You're right. We do. We want to guard you from getting into a place that your faith is stolen. Can you say amen? And then he goes into the great deal negotiation. Listen to this. He says, Rabshakeh says to the people, he doesn't just stop lying and insulting them and saying God sent me. Jehovah God did not send him. You're going to hear that in a minute because God's going to speak back. Don't you doubt for a moment, Brittany. God does speak back to your enemy. You may think it's all silent. You may not hear it all, but don't you doubt. Look at your name and say, don't you doubt. And all of a sudden, Rabshakeh says, come out, you people of Jerusalem. Come out and go with me. Come and make peace with me. He stops dealing with the leader. That's why you want to be careful and never get yourself isolated because you're going to be eaten up and devoured. And he begins to speak to the people, try to isolate them from the one accord. That's why in your family, stay together. In your business, stay together. In your home, stay together. In your church, stay together. In your city, as the kingdom of Christ all over the world, you stay in unity. And he says, come out. This is what he says. Make peace with me. Everyone say, make peace with me. Now, we're going to talk about God's peace in a moment. But this is not what he's talking about. What he's saying is when... Um, Poverty says, make peace with me and accept you're always going to be poor. So just make peace with me. Just accept it and go on living this way. Make peace with me that you're never going to have a job where anyone, you know, blesses you. Make peace with me. Depression says, make peace with me. Make peace with me. Just accept I'm a part of who you are. You see, regrets say, make peace with me. Sorrow says, make peace with me. Grief says, make peace with me. Just accept me. And make me part of who you are. Addiction says, just make peace with me. Don't, don't fight it, baby. Make peace with me. Those habits that you and I have that we know are wrong. Anyone but me got some habits you like to get rid of? Anger, tension, oh me, oh my. Don't look at anybody in the room. Um, those things says, make peace with me. Just accept it. That is not the kind of peace that God ever wants you to make. He never wants you to make an alignment a covenant, a treaty with things that have been sent to destroy you. Jesus came to undo the very works of Satan, according to Scripture. That means to undo, outdo, unglue, untether the whole thing. Jesus never wants you to make peace with something just because you don't want to fight it. Sometimes peace means fighting something like hell. Come on. Sometimes that's why people that don't believe about boots on the ground, whatever, everybody's got their own opinion, how we're supposed to fight ISIS. ISIS is never going to make a covenant of peace with America. ISIS is never going to make a covenant with peace with Israel. The Arabs are never going to make peace with Israel. It's already been written. The only way to stand in and for the country of Israel and the prime minister who spoke, as you know, on the night of Purim to the whole house, first time in centuries that Esther got a standing ovation with a mention of Esther when prime minister um, Benjamin Nutahuta, I never can say his name right, when he stood and talked on Purim, you know, because he was sounding a clarion call. No peace will be made. Listen to me. I'm not giving you a prophecy or a sermon. Hang with me for a second. No peace can be made like that 
and no peace in your life can be made with people or things that are seeking to destroy you. ISIS lives to destroy every Christian. Our brothers and sisters are living in tents today, being of good cheer, believing Jesus will keep them safe from ISIS. Brothers and sisters in Israel and all over the Middle East, but peace is never made by saying, I'm going to accept something or someone that wants to destroy me. No, I'm going to fight like hell to that thing rears its ugly head and scampers off like the idiot that it is. Someone give God praise. Whether it's fear or anxiety or overcoming overwhelmingness. No, I'm not going to make peace. And I love this because he says, and I will give you a land like your own. Everyone say a land like my own. See, he doesn't say he's going to give you your own land. Listen, listen. He says to the inhabitants in Jerusalem, come, come, come out of what God has given you. The Lord told you that was yours, but come on out. The Lord said that was yours. The Lord made that promise of peace. The Lord made that promise of restoration. The Lord made that promise of joy. But come out from what he has said is yours. And come. It's a seductress lover. Come, come. Come and I will give you something like your own, but it really won't be your own. It'll be an imitation, a cheap flattery. It'll be a moment of lust, a moment of exhilaration, a moment. I'm not talking just about sexual. I'm talking about anything that's offered in that moment. Come make peace with me. Come and I will give you something that's like yours, but it won't be yours. That's why pornography has entrapped so many women and men. That's why situations of, of money and, and sex and, and other political manners have come in to seduce the brightest and the best because it says, come out of what God gave you. Come out of that marriage that I, the Lord, gave you. Come out of that home that I, the Lord, gave you. Come out of that peace that I gave you. Come out of that joy. Come out of that way that I gave you, and I will give you land. It's almost like just a, a, a short fix, if I will. Not speaking of drugs, but just a short fix. You see, there is a short cheer fix. There is, I'm happy, but again, when that song ends, where is my cheer? Where is my happiness? Where is the things that I'm holding on to? The things that God gives, they last for eternity. The things that the lying rabs, Shekah, the snakes give us that say, here, I'll give you something that looks like yours. I'll give you something that feels like yours. I'll give you something. It won't be yours, but it'll kind of look like what you want and desire from the Lord. But I will give it to you. But the Lord says no. What God gives lasts for eternity. The enemy wants to call you out of the land of freedom, the land of joy, the land of peace, the land of hope. Give the Lord a hand clap if you agree with that this morning. And he goes on to say, have you not seen? You know, Keith, it's amazing how the enemy keeps account. The enemy keeps account of everybody that it's not gone well that's trying to get through what you're trying to get through. The enemy keeps account of everyone, the enemy is never going to show you people that survived what you're going through. The enemy is never going to try to increase your faith. And Rabshakeh says, do you really feel that God is going to overcome this? Do you not know about the gods of Hannah, Arpad, Saphim, Ivan, Hin? All these are false gods of countries that Rabshakeh and his army threw down, ate them like lizards, crushed them like ants. And he said, who among all the gods of the land has been able to deliver anybody from my hand? That you should think that your God will deliver you. And isn't that the way the enemy does? 
He paints such pictures in the news. He paints such pictures that we hear of the economy. He paints such pictures that we hear, you know, of people, of, of people faltering in times of strength or maybe sickness and disease and things. But I love this because it says the people held their peace. Everyone say the people. Everyone say the people. Everyone say the people held their peace. Look at your neighbor and say, hold your peace. Hold your peace. I love that. Because, Anissa, you're the only one that can hold your peace. Linda, you're the only one that can hold your peace. I can't hold it for you, and you can't hold my peace. I love this, though, because the king had said to them, Hezekiah, again, from a viewpoint like God of seeing the whole picture and surviving so much, just says, you know, a leader always has the big picture in your business, your home, whatever. And he had told them, hold your peace. Don't begin. Sometimes we just want to lash out insults. They didn't even scream back. I mean, I don't want to scream back, you liver-sucking ants, you crawling on your belly. I'm going to bash your smashed head into the wall and eat you like the dirt that you are. Come on, somebody. And a few other foreign words, right? <laughs> Chinese, as my friend Joni Lamb says. Sometimes you just got to speak Chinese. Um, and, and this is, but this is the truth. I would have wanted to, but they didn't. They held their peace. Let's pause for a second to talk about peace. The peace symbol, listen to me by the Spirit, is so popular today. You can get it tattooed. You can get it in jewelry. You can get it on your television. You can get it on your refrigerator. You can get it on your notebook. And to some, peace means different things. In the Middle East, it means absence of war. But to a mother with little babies, it means just give me a nap. Come on, somebody. Um, peace can mean so much different things. But peace in the Bible is erinia. And it embodies completeness, wholeness, and an inner resting of the soul that does not fluctuate based on outside influences. That means my peace is not based on how crazy you are, right? That means your peace is not based on how crazy I am. That means our peace is not based on how everything looks around us. It reminds me of a contest between where they said, Nicole, we will give $250,000 to the artist that can paint the best picture of peace. Well, two of the best artists went to work immediately, and one can imagine. This is a true story. One can imagine who would like to paint for 250. It would not go well with me, but I would at least try. And said, they're highly motivated to paint the best, paint the best picture of peace. The first painter painted a beautiful, serene portrait of a lake, the sun glistening off it at just the right moment. I mean, the lake sparkled in the glistening of the sun. A shepherd walked with his sheep across the beautiful valley. Trees stood off at one side of the lake with birds gathered in their tallest branches. The second artist painted this picture. The sky was pitch black. Lightning shot through the air in zigzagged movements. The painter also had water, but the waves in his painting thrashed as if they were somehow awakened from a terrible, terrible dream. The trees bent down in this picture and bowed in the wind the painting looked like a portrait of chaos. But when you look closely at the painting, very down at the bottom on the left-hand side, just on the very edge of the horrific scene, you could see a little bird standing on a rock. The little bird had its mouth open as if he was singing a beautiful song. One faint light shone down from the darkness in the clouds on the bird, and the bird sung in spite of the situation all around it. The judges chose the second artist's painting. Why? Because he 
painted peace. Peace is not perfect situation. Peace resounds firmly from deep within despite what's going on around it. Can you say amen? That's what peace is. When nothing looks right or when a few things look right and a few don't, when all is dark, but in that moment of chaos, when tranquility is on the inside, that is the peace that you hold. If you're waiting to feel peace before you act on it, don't wait on the feeling because you got to make the decision first. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Peace protects you. Jesus says in John 14 and 27, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. You see, the world will offer you peace in a song. Cause I'm happy. I mean, you can turn on the right music and just for a moment you feel peaceful. Are you with me? Are you with me, Harvest? You can drink and feel peaceful for a moment, those that have drank. You can go to a movie. I just need peace. I just need peace. But I found when that movie is over and you go back into the same brain that you went into that movie with, you're going to have to deal with it. You can buy a Louis Vuitton bag. I've already said that. You can do it, but whenever the effect of those things leave you, the peace leaves you as well. But the peace that comes from God is the peace that you hold on to because Isaiah 26 and 3 says the steadfast mind, the steadfast of mind will keep in perfect peace because they trust in the Lord. Everyone say trust. Everyone say trust. Trust brings peace. Everyone say trust brings peace. And when your mind agrees with his mind and you begin to speak back into yourself, I'm going to tell you, you know, one of my favorite messages, Pastor Todd, you know, I love to speak myself is you might be crazy if you're not talking to yourself because you, know, you say, oh, my sister say, Rhonda's talking to herself, mama, she's crazy. Um, and I was really in there practicing sermons at about eight, crazy, I know. But you see, I've learned I got to talk back to myself and I've got to say, bless the Lord, oh, my soul and all that is within me. Come on, Rhonda. Bless his holy name. Rhonda, come on. Bless the Lord and forget not all of his benefits. Bless the Lord and praise him. I've got to say back to my soul. I've got to agree with what God says. We had a little sorrowful situation this week. I won't go into it now, but we lost a precious little animal. Had him for 11 years. Loved him dearly. But immediately after I knew he was gone, I said, Holy Spirit, I welcome you and I thank you that my heart is broken. I'm devastated. But I thank you that you right now care about me. I thank you for the peace you're bringing. I thank you for the joy. Every time I'd go to Welling or Pastor would go to Welling or Christine would go to crying, we would speak back over ourselves. We thank you for the peace. I've not always done that perfectly. I, like you, at moments feel like I ain't got a word to say. Anybody with me? You're so afraid or you're so stressed. But I've learned the word has been exalted above his name. The word has been exalted to a place that demons tremble at his name and they flee from his word. When you begin to speak his word, the atmosphere has to change. And when you speak his word into your own self, there may be a time that you have to wait to see it fulfilled, but the world will prevail. The word will bring it forth and you will see the glory of God in the midst of the situation. Somebody praise him for his word this morning. 
I love it. Josh, if you come help me. I love that he spoke the word. I love it. Chris, if you'd come join him and we'll bring sinners for some sinners. We'll bring the singers for some closing. <laughs> and Lord, if any of them might be sinners, we just ask you now to save them. They've been on the team a long time, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Ooh, that made me laugh. But I love it because it's that talking back to yourself. Oh, my soul, why are you so down today? The Lord has been good to you. Rhonda, Rhonda, why are you worried? Has not God said that he is the glory and the lifter of your head? I'm saying me so you won't feel pressure, but you got to say you. Psalm 73, what, well, let me tell you first what happens. So the threats just keep building King Hezekiah tore his clothes, and he didn't try to muff up or dress up that this was a bad situation. I don't want you to miss that. He tore his clothes, and he went in sackcloth into the house of the Lord. Listen to me. He knew the reality. He went like a fantasy. Nothing's wrong here. Half full, half full, half full. No, that's not what faith is. I'm a very positive person, but I'm also a realist. I know true grief. I know true sorrow. I know true hell. But we come to the fact that Hezekiah put sackcloth on, and he sent word to the prophet Isaiah. Listen, he said, tell Isaiah, this is a day of rebuke, a day of trouble and insults and disgrace. He says, I tell you what it feels like. And just, just tune into me. Just try to stay focused right now. This is like a child that when it's nearly ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver the baby. What he's saying is something great is supposed to happen next in our life, but we don't have the strength. There's a next cycle in our life, a next season, a next responsibility. But anybody but me ever felt that way? I ain't got the strength. Around 17, and I don't mean in war, I mean just the next place God wants to use you. I don't, I don't have that strength, Lord. Hezekiah was so clear to the Lord. It's just like a child who's ready to be born. It's like, it's like we're on the precipice, we're on the cliff, we're on the edge of something awesome. But the mother doesn't have strength to deliver the baby. There was no physical mother. What he was saying, we, the people of God, don't have the strength. And he said this to Isaiah. Perhaps the Lord, our God, has heard the threats of Rabshakeh. Rabshakeh, I'm going to call him a mean different way things. Rabshakeh, anyway. Um, he says, pray for those of us that are left. What he said is pray for the remnant. And the assistance of King Hezekiah went to Isaiah. And Isaiah responded from the place of prayer which is always the place you should respond. God help Rhonda Davis when she responds from Rhonda Davis. I'm telling you, ain't pretty. If I respond from prayer, you can trust me. If I respond from that place of his word, ooh, I know he is so right. He is so right. Isaiah says, do not be disturbed by this speech against. The Lord says, do not be disturbed by this speech against me. Someone say against the Lord. Now, you realize what he's saying is these threats are not against you. This is against me, the Lord. This threat. You see, God loves you enough that when threats come against you in this, or Melody, Kat, Pastor Todd, Austin, when threats come against you, the Lord says, these threats are against me, not my people. These threats are against me. And the Lord says, do not worry. I will destroy them. So watch this. Then King Sennacherib writes a big old letter. I won't even read it to you. It's full of threats. It's full of venom. Let me tell you something. The enemy does not play fair. The enemy does bring out all of his threats in your life. And Hezekiah took the letter, and this is what he did. A wonderful principle my dad taught me as a young child. 
He took the letter and he went into the sanctuary of the Lord. Why did he do that? Well, it wouldn't be like all of y'all got to bring your troubles up here to harvest and we have to let you in at like two in the morning so you lay out your things before the Lord. That wasn't it. In that day and age, there was a physical sanctuary. In this day and age, we come worship here, but God meets us right here in our place of prayer, in our heart. And he rolls out the letter before the Lord. The Bible says in many translations, he spreads it out before the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you what he didn't do. He didn't spread it out before the people. Come on, someone. He didn't spread it out before people that could not help him. Has anybody but me ever spread out a lot of things before people could do nothing about it? Yeah, sometimes I'd rather tell Rachel all my woes and my troubles so Rachel can agree with me in my depression instead of rolling out what I need before the Lord. He rolls it out before the Lord in the sanctuary. He kind of like the psalmist in Psalm 73. David says, I was seeing bad things over here and ISIS over here. And I was seeing the wicked prosper. And I was hearing about the economy. And it was just frustrating me and overwhelming me. He said in Psalm 73, until I entered into the sanctuary of the Lord and I beheld the beauty of the Lord. As Hezekiah, stay with me, we're almost there. As Hezekiah lays out the things before the Lord, this is what he says. Oh, Lord God of Israel. Oh, Lord God, my God. I'm going to tell you, he's God of Israel, but he's your God. Say, he's my God. And the, the quicker that you and I get to the point that we speak to him and say, you are my God. You are enthroned. You alone are God. You alone created the heavens and the earth. If we spoke to God as much as we get on our phones and our iPads and our Macs and our computers and as much as we talk to each other, but he says, you alone created the heavens and the earth. Hear the words of the defiance. Hear the words of your enemy that are speaking. They're going to destroy us in your life and in my life. I want you to remember when you praise God, someone say, when I praise God in his courts, someone say, in his courts, he moves with power. Come on, stay with me. Everything else is okay. He moves with power into my circumstances. When I praise God in His courts, He moves with power into my circumstances. He began to praise God. Listen to me. Reminds me of what the Spirit of the Lord gives us in Numbers uh, 6 and 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Have you ever noticed how children look like their parents? Come on. Have you ever noticed expressions in children? Both my girls have facial expressions from us. Um, uh, Skylar has some of Angel and Courtney's facial expressions. You know what? Abba Daddy is your God. And when you get into His presence, when Hezekiah rolled that before the Lord. I mean, I can talk to Misty all day long about my trouble. And it's, we need each other. Oh my goodness, we need each other. We need to pray for each other, comfort, speak, and edify. But I can talk to Misty all day about it. But until I roll it out before the Lord, and whatever that looks like for you, there's no special I, 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 ABC. It's just giving it to Him. 
when I do that, he lifts up his countenance upon me. And I begin to look more like my daddy than I look like myself. You hear me? His countenance shines upon me. And when his light comes into me, I look more like Abba Father than I look like Cecil and Joyce, my earthly parents. I began to walk and talk in his peace. He laid it out before the Lord. And let me tell you what God did. And we're done. And I'm going to encourage you in the word and then pray with you. I'm going to tell you what God did. After Hezekiah laid it before the Lord, after Isaiah reared up, after the people held their peace, this is what the Lord finally answered through Isaiah. He said to Rabshakeh and Sennacherib, I know where you live. I know where your house is. I know the code to your alarm, oh enemy of my people. I know when you got up this morning, and I know when you're going to bed tonight. I know the way that you have come against me, and you have come against my people. And because of your arrogance against me, which I have heard for myself, I will put a hook in your nose, fear. I will put a hook in your nose, anxiety. I will put a hook in your nose, poverty. And I will will lead you by your own mouth and I'll make you go back the road from which you came. I'm going to tell you by the Spirit of the Lord, exactly that happened. Rabshakeh got a call to go back. Sennacherib was killed by the sword. And that night, you know, it's one of my favorite places. I got to say it before I go on. And everyone say, that night, an angel of the Lord walked among the 188,000 that were encamped around Israel. And as one angel just walked among them, they were struck dead on the spot if one angel can do that in one night against 188,000 what more can the Lord do for you and I stand all over this house and give him praise come on stand all over this house and give him the best praise I'm done preaching come on put your hands together for the inconceivable almighty amazing powerful God give him the praise come on Give him the praise. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Praise him. Hallelujah. Now as you're standing, watch me. Isaiah said, I see the Lord high and lifted up. Sometimes be of good cheer, the Lord says, for I've overcome the world. And sometimes Rhonda Davis needs to remind herself how much he has overcome. I have to look up and judge him faithful. Not judge myself, not judge you, not judge my circumstance, but judge him. He is so faithful. When we look back in Genesis, we see him carving canyon with his own hand. We see him stepping out into darkness and speaking light into it. We see him calling the lightning forth and it says, here I am, O Lord. We see him numbering the stars by name. We see him hanging the sun in the day and the moon at the night as if he was merely waving his hand. We see him and the Bible says that the Red Sea ran out of God's place in Psalms 114 when it saw Jehovah and his people coming. The Red Sea ran and split apart at the very breath of his nostrils. We see the Lord God leading his people Israel into restoration time and time again when they had 
failed him so that he would uphold the line of his Messiah, Yeshua, the son of the almighty God. We see him taking Deborah to the top of the mountain and fighting in glory against her enemy. We see him raising up Gideon and seeing Gideon in 300 slaying the enemy of God. We see him marching across the desert with his people he had called by his own name. We see him fighting wars and upholding kings and giving David victory against the giant Goliath. We see him marching into the book of Matthew and being born in Bethlehem. Though every prophecy said he was coming, the devil couldn't stop him. Herod couldn't kill him. He came right into Bethlehem and was born in a manger. His name is Jesus. Emmanuel, the son of the almighty living God. We see him raising the widow named son from the dead. We see him calling Lazarus from the grave. We see him stopping the stoners when the adulterous woman was about to fall. We see him speaking life into dry bones. We see him giving mercy and we see him, the star creator, hanging upon a cross with scars in his hand and scars in his feet and scars in his side. And we see him breathe his last breath on Calvary. And then we see him as the Holy Spirit goes to the center of the earth and resurrects Jesus to the right hand of God. And we see him, his name who is faithful and true. And we see him in the book of Revelation when John wept because no one was worthy to open the scroll. And an angel said, weep not anymore, John. Look to the center of the throne. And at the right hand, John said, I saw a lamb looking like it had been slain. And they began to say, worthy is the lamb. He can open the scroll. He can bring victory. He has already overcome the world. And then I saw him returning on a white horse and upon his thigh was a name that no one knew. But they called him the faithful and the true. Somebody see him. Somebody praise him just for a minute. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Now lift your hands to that same Jesus. 